Now to jump in, I think we should introduce our special guest pretty early. If you don't know who the guest is, if you don't know Gene, then like you've been hanging out in the complete wrong part of the internet. It's usually two versus one in this in this realm, and I'm always outnumbered. But now I've brought backup. So now I've got not only someone in the same hemisphere, but the same time zone and the same town. So I'm like really pushing all the buttons here. Uh, Jean McDonald is here with us today, and I could not be more proud to have her here. She is she is truly like no other. Jean, I think probably everyone knows you already, but if they don't, <laughs> feel free to give them the long, short, or medium version of, of what you're all about. The way I know you all is through micro.blog, which we have all been active on for quite a while, and uh, I have been working with Manton Reese the founder, um, since the launch, more or less the beginning, very beginning of the launch with, um, as the community manager, which was a position that Manton committed to creating when he did the Kickstarter for micro.blog, if he hit a certain stretch goal. So when I told some friends that I got this job, my friend James Dempsey said, oh, you're the stretch goal. I'm like, yes, that's me. It's <laughs> a nice way of putting it. <laughs> so I would like that on a t-shirt with like me stretching or something. <laughs> uh, but yes, I've been around uh, the Mac and Apple nerd um, for quite a while since uh, my first Mac World in 2004 when I um, volunteered or was volunteered to work at the booth of my good friends at Smile Software. And I had such a good time at Macworld, I thought, I could see how it might be fun to work in this, you know, industry. And, uh, well, here we are 16 years later. It is still fun. Um, I don't consider myself so much in the Mac, uh, Apple industry anymore as the uh, internet at large. But, of course, there are a lot of um, folks that I know from those Apple days, and I'm still quite, uh, you know, laden with many Apple products. <laughs> so. I, th I think actually, Gene, I remember hearing about you probably at around that time, actually, with Smile Software, and that was probably a similar time that I was getting into the, the Mac as well. And Macworld was the kind of place that I longed to go to at some point in my future. And they had the, you know, I only know this from internet reports and that sort of thing, but the whole idea of they had tiny town where all the little miniature booths would go versus the, the big, the big expensive areas where, where big budget companies would put themselves. It's, but it seemed like such a cool thing, but being in Australia, it's such a distant, far removed thing. You think I'm just not going to happen. So the fact that 16 years on, I'm now, talking to you on a podcast it's it's kind of crazy <laughs> yeah it's true it was uh um it was a fun uh little group of those those uh what i forget what they they called them kiosks that you could rent still for quite a lot of money considering the amount of space and um you couldn't do too much with your kiosk it just had like your name print it above and you could put up some artwork and stuff but uh, after about I don't know four or five years of that we decided to go in 
with some other developer friends and share a booth, a, uh, a 10 by 20 space. So it's the big, the big time, the big time. And that was like, you made it to the big time. Oh my God. You had to, I've never worked trade shows like, you know, like from that side of it before. And basically all you get for your like gazillion dollars is 10 by 20 space of polished concrete and everything else is extra. Yeah, car- carpet's extra. Oh, you want a power board? <laughs> yeah, so you, um, including like, you know, uh, electrical drops and internet drops, and you have to figure out where you want those in your booth. Like nothing is standard like that, you know? And so the planning level went just to a quantum leap higher and... Uh, it was very stressful because Macworld used to be in January, and sometimes pretty early in January. So basically, Christmas, New Year's was just off the, you know, off the calendar. <laughs> and um, we actually we took a year off Macworld. One year they moved from the big hall to the smaller hall at uh, Moscone Center, and that's not why we took the year off. But we were I don't know just we started thinking. There's some developers like our friends at uh, um, Rogue Amoeba, they just had it like as a plan every other year, you know, and we were thinking that's not a bad plan, you know, if (laughs) not, it's, but on the other hand, like I, I wouldn't discourage people, you know, from spending money to meet your customers and meet your fellow developers or whatever business you're in. It really did, I think, make a big difference for our, um, you know, for the growth of Smile. And uh, so, and, and we had a lot of fun. I have to imagine, because I've been to those Macworlds and I've been to those small Smile booths and the large, that at some point, I'm sure we did cross paths much earlier than when we actually yeah. met in person, which is kind of fun to think about. And also, I, I, I'm curious now with, you know, obviously we're not going to any trade shows now. And I think trade shows as a whole is drastically going to change in the future. Um, but something like micro.blog, I wonder how that would fit into that kind of world nowadays, where if you're walking around, you know, the halls of XYZ conference, I don't know which one you'd be at. And would, would there be a micro.blog booth or not? I, I just, I don't know how much that even makes sense anymore for a lot of companies being online and having the reach that they have. Um, I, I think it would be cool. Obviously you'd, you'd pick up some people, but I just, I don't know how much that's really needed in this kind of environment nowadays. It's a really good question. I mean, off the top of my head, I don't know. Like I used to go to blog world, which, you know, was a blog, blog world and new media expo to, to hang out with podcasters uh, back when Smile, I mean, Smile is still a, a sponsor of podcasts. And that was where I, you know, wanted to be um, getting to know the podcasters in our space. And it was, <laughs> we were such Mac nerds, you know, there were like, I don't know, 5,000 people there. And then 10 or 12 of us just hung out together the whole time. Anyway, it was like mini Mac world. But <laughs> blog blogging in that sense, it was more about people making money from their blogs, you know, and, and we're just, we're kind of not about that. We're, we're totally not about that. We're about actually writing and, 
um, engaging with the community. If we, I mean, if budget were no object, I think we would enjoy and also get something out of going to something like uh, an event apart, you know, something where there's people who blog a lot, you know, who might want something really simple and straightforward to um, host their ideas on the internet. Yeah, or like those smaller alt conference type situations where there's the giant mega conference and then the little kind of specialized sub conferences off to the side. Just on Jason's point, I'm interested, sorry, to pick up on the idea of managing a community or talking to people online rather than physically. I know that since I joined micro.blog, you've been a real presence there, Gene, and very, very helpful, constantly guiding people in the right mm-hmm. direction to know how to use the service and genuinely meet people. You are, you know, engaging in community management. How difficult is that on an online basis with people you haven't met? Or is that something that you've just fallen into easily? Well, you know, I was on Twitter since 2007. And so I have some notion of how people, at least back then, you know, could find and engage with other like-minded people, seeing people become friends, even if they never meet, or, you know, there was, of course, people would have tweet ups, you know, (laughs) they'd be like, hey, I'm going to be, you know, in Austin, let's meet, like at a bar, with people you don't, no, you know, from Twitter personally, and then you become friends with them or you meet them at a conference. You say, oh, yeah, I've been following you, that kind of stuff. I knew the potential, you know, of having uh, something that would help people have one-to-one connections, even though it feels, certainly feels like a mass media now. And I don't remember the last time I felt like I made a friend on Twitter I don't think it's too difficult. I mean, we're, we are an online community, so it's got to work online. I think that's one of the great things that I've enjoyed about micro. I, I say micro blog. I can't get the micro dot blog. I think because it is a smaller community, um, is that people are more willing to engage and be kind. And look, you, you, you and Manton both set the tone with that as well. But the fact that you can, I feel like I've made more genuine relationships as this podcast attests to in the short period of time that I've been on microblog compared with all the years that I've been on the other social networks um, it's where you would really only follow the people you knew or there'd be some famous people but it was always seemed superficial I think microblog has gotten past that superficiality at least in my experience of it I don't know if is that a common thing that you're noticing when yeah. you when you deal with people I do think I notice people you know finding each other and you know carrying on conversations and then following each other you know along so I I definitely see it you know everybody's experience is going to be different and some people are there just to blog and they really aren't there to chit chat or you know respond to other people and that's totally okay, that's, that's a blog, however you uh, want to use it is, is your choice. And I, you know, I think we see this pretty frequently that people come on um, in little waves, mostly like leaving Twitter or Facebook in disgust. And when they first get to micro.blog, they have this notion of how it, it should work, you know, <laughs> because they have an experience elsewhere. And, you know, it takes a little while to get 
adjust it to a different kind of, you know, mechanics of getting, you know, following people. There's no liking of people's posts. And, uh, you know, even I find that frustrating sometimes, but then, you know, because I want that person to know, yes, I like your post, but so often I just write that and say, hey, I like your post, or nice photo, or even once in a great while, just reply with an emoji. Um, it's okay. You can do that on micro.blog timeline. And, um, you know, that you don't know who's following you um, seems if you're used to that, it seems like a limitation. But once you get used to the micro.blog way of using it, you realize it's quite liberating. You don't have to stress about, is somebody going to unfollow me? I mean, they probably will, but you won't know. So <laughs> it's better that way. It feels like the business model, at least from my perspective, has a lot to do with that, where when your business is built on people giving you cash, it's it's inherently uh, more of an active scenario where you're going to actively participate versus mm-hmm. when you're building your business upon ads, you almost prefer people to be passive because them interacting could potentially be negative towards your advertising. Whereas if they're just blindly looking at things going through a feed mm-hmm. and maybe they click it, um, that's a, it's a better scenario for you to be in. So I think the fact that you're putting that money forward, and I think we've said that even in the past shows, is that that you know that five dollars is is kind of a a goodwill to say like I'm here because I want to be here versus I just sort of you know stumbled in here and yeah I guess I'll just hang out because I have nothing to lose. I really relate or agree with what Jane said about the idea of using it differently from the way that you originally envisaged or intended. Like you said, Jason, when I signed up, I thought, okay, I'm giving money. I'm going to be actively involved in this thing. But I really personally focused on the word blog. And I thought, this is going to be where I'm going to write from now on. But I didn't foresee the conversational aspect, the actual ping-ponging backwards and forwards, which leads to, as Andrew said, a conversational setup in a podcast like this. And the other thing that I didn't realize, the second major use that I get out of it personally, is it became kind of like the dream version of Instagram that I had back in 2010 when it launched. The fact that now you've got an app like Sunlit and this beautiful way of simply sharing photos with people in this community and even sending a URL to family or friends out of this lockdown network. I had no idea how much I would use it personally just for sharing photos of pets or special moments or something. That is a good point, too. Um, I once did a talk about, you know, why you want your own domain. And uh, one of the things that I spent some time doing was getting screenshots of Facebook and Twitter when you're not logged in. Um, So like it, like the link you might send to a friend and then, you know, the the screen just fills up with like sign up now or log in now. And like you could say no, but it just comes back every page. And I said, is this what you want your content? You know, is this where you want your content to live? Where your photos, your things that you want to share with family, especially people who don't use those platforms and never will. Uh, so at least a micro blog. Yeah. I mean, if I could convince certain family members to use RSS, for example, that would be awesome. But RSS seems to be like some kind of magical concept to people who, you know, it's hard to get across like what, why it 
it could be really helpful. And it probably it probably matters how many blogs you want to follow. If you only want to follow one blog, like your kid's blog or your, you know, your friend's blog, you I do have friends told me, oh, I saw whatever picture. And I said, oh, and they said, yeah, I just go visit your website every couple of days. I'm like, okay. <laughs> that's and that and that's lovely too. They get to see the full expression of your website. I'm guilty of reading RSSs and sometimes not bothering mm-hmm. to go through the website. You know, you read the feed yeah. and you never actually see the presentation. <laughs> so every website suddenly looks exactly the same. Um, so there is something to be said for visiting a website. So we've we've all been on the service for over a year now, I believe. Well, Gene excluded, obviously, but we've all been there for over a year now, and we just crossed. Um, the launch of microblog 2.0 as it's been named i think that was on the 30th of september um so obviously a lot has changed in just a short time a year um i'm i'm curious obviously there's you know there's a roadmap there's things to come um what now because i feel like 2.0 is kind of that situation where your 2.0 is what you always envisioned your 1.0 was going to be and that's just the nature of building things. So now that we're kind of at that stage where things feel very, at least from a user perspective, they're very mature, things feel solid now, everything, you know, it's quick, it's snappy, all the features seem to be there. Um, Is it more about community building now or is it still a pretty solid balance of, and I don't want to like (laughs) put, Manton in a box here and say he's not you know innovating or anything it's just what what do you kind of see as being priority one now if you had to pick is it is it really more people focused now that the technology is kind of pretty solid and the technology will kind of go on and on in the background well it you know Manton is always going to want to improve the platform I mean he has still plenty of things he would like to improve or maybe add at some point and he you know he's constantly surprising me uh, I I refrain sometimes when he posts like oh I added the following things you know sometimes I don't even know when they're coming out because he's you know he works on them and then I say <laughs> I want to say yes people you might be forgiven if you wonder if Manton ever sleeps because he, he I mean it's really quite a extensive platform now and uh certainly john hayes has put in a lot of work on sunlit the photo blogging app but you know it's mostly manton and it's certainly none of it is me uh because (laughs) that's not my you know that's not my area of expertise other than you know to report below sorry report bugs or or um request features and and so I do think that having this 2.0 out does sort of free us up to renew our efforts or find new places where we want to make sure people are aware that micro.blog is an option. In particular, now when you go to the web, it's really clear, I think, that it's a blogging platform, not just a social media opportunity. And Ultimately, that's the thing that people are paying for. It's it's a very reasonably priced way to have a blog that also is fairly straightforward and easy to use. Right, which I think is great too, because then you have less of people coming thinking it's Twitter 
clone and it's actually something different because at some point I, I feel like that I think early on even I'm guilty of this too it was it was the easiest way to describe it it was oh what is that uh, it's a, and you start going through all these things and they're like I don't what are you saying and you say well okay you know Twitter and then minus the garbage it's that <laughs> and then they go oh okay great that makes sense but now I've at least I try to kind of shy away from that aspect of it because as soon as you say it's like Twitter you lose a certain percentage of people because they're already on Twitter so they don't care and they tune out you lose the rest of the people because they're like I'm already on Twitter I don't want more of that so I think being able to have a way to describe it now that is you know that can come up maybe later in the conversation so I think it's much more clear now up front Um, and and also having different for me, one thing about the platform is I, lo- I love the the different community kind of challenge aspect to it, where it's very, you can be in it if you want to, or you can passively observe it or something in between. Um, so we've had, you know, many photo challenges in the past, yeah. and I think we've got another one coming up soon. And, and that is just yet another way that it it lends itself to be just something that's that's different. And it, there's no pressure to be involved, but it's very accessible if you want to be involved. You know, if you had another platform, pick one of them, and there was a big photo challenge thing, you would probably just scroll right past it and not mm-hmm. even think that that was for you, right? Because I think when you're going through other platforms, nothing on there really feels like it's for you. Whereas this comes across as somebody that is, you know, if, if it's Gene as a community manager and you see it in the discover section, you go, oh. I'm here. I'm mm-hmm. part of this. I can do that too. So I think the 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 different uh, community events, I'll call them, has been a, a fun part of the platform that I don't really think you get anywhere else. You know, if you go to WordPress.com, there's not going to be a, a community photo challenge. It's just not what it's for. So again, I think just building on that community aspect. Yeah, yeah. I'm really looking forward to that photo challenge. It's um, I think it's only less than a week away when you when you publish this podcast, October 13th and 14th. I'm calling it a global photo challenge because we want it to do, instead of the challenges we've done before, which have been really incredible, like I've been very impressed with people's uh, output and some people do like their month-long challenges and those are a lot of photos. <laughs> to take I I didn't I didn't I kind of washed out myself personally on the one that we did in August I got partially just because of staying at home pretty much hardly going like you know less than a half a mile outside of my house maybe once a week I you know wasn't creative enough to keep coming up with new pictures I got through that month and it was hard work it was really hard work I was drained yeah. by the end of it and um, I've, I've totally bailed out on Inktober this year. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, I can't do more drawing. That was hard enough last yeah, year. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think uh, drawing just isn't my thing. Although the cool thing about this upcoming photo challenge is it's for 24 hours only. And it's one photo only. So I'm going to be reminding people of this as I follow up on the, the plans for next week is that I, I don't want you to post four or five photos I don't want to curate your photo collection I want you to tell me which is the photo you know everybody pick one Uh, not that you can't post the other ones but for that day one person one photo within a 24-hour period and 
I got inspired by the idea um, of that series of books called A Day in the Life of, which actually started in Australia, or the first one was done in Australia. Um, One of the main organizers of it, a guy named Rick Smolin, he is a National Geographic photographer, he was, and he was assigned to do something in Australia. And I think that's when he came up with the idea of hiring. I mean, they got uh, professional photographers, 100 photographers for one day all over Australia. And that was so popular that I don't know how many sequels they made, but I know that they have made Day in the Life of Hawaii. I used to have Day in the Life of the Soviet Union. I may still have that in my basement. I should remember that's a historical artifact. (laughs) A lot of tractor photos. Have you guys seen, have you guys had heard of that previously before? I I had not heard of this, the day in the life thing. Yeah. I remember, I remember being a kid and we had a copy of that book. It was a big coffee table book, hardcover, beautiful book. And being a kid, you know, and flipping through that, you know, it was just fun to look at and, and feel like, this is my country being represented. It was a big thing for our nation as well, which is a much smaller, and there wasn't the internet back then. So you felt very, it was an isolated country. And this was kind of putting Australia on the globe. And even as a kid, I could sort of get a sense of that. And even now, I still remember flipping through it. And there were um, photos of people in a place in South Australia called Cooper Pedy. Oh, I know. <laughs> and they lived, yeah, and they lived basically underground in the, in caves um, because of the climatic conditions and the, the it's opal mining, I think they do there. I think that's right. Um, and they'll basically live in the you know caves that were from opal mines. I think is my my memory of it. And yeah, it was just these amazing photos of people in their homes underground. And as a kid in in Perth, Western Australia, thinking that just a few thousand kilometres away, other Australians were living like yeah. that. <laughs> it was pretty cool. Um, it was an amazing book. Well, maybe we will get a book out of this, potentially. Yeah. I, I mean, my mind jumped right to that result when I, after I thought like, I mean, it sort of evolved. I thought, well, I don't want to do it if we don't get at least 100 people to do it. Like, because I, I, I don't want it to feel like, oh, do it or don't do it. I want people to feel like I'm contributing to a project. So the photo challenge coming up, the worldwide photo challenge, I guess we're calling it, is October 13th. It's going to be one photo in a 24-hour period. And how? I guess my only question is, how do people, how do you mark, if I upload 10 photos during that time, where do I say, this is my pick? Is there something special that I need to do? Yeah, I think, um, you know, dare I say it, they're, be a hashtag some kind of unique identifier so when people upload them i want them to say where the photo's taken i mean it doesn't have to be the exact gps coordinates but just like you know perth australia you know or wollongong wollongong correct very good yeah so we'll have to we'll have to think of something um specific and so i don't i can't say that right now but i will have it figured out I'll be also curating things into a special discover feed on that during that 24 hours. And it's really October 13th to the 14th because nobody has the same time zone. We have 14 different time zones. Oh, we we know all too well about time zones and how great yeah. they are. <laughs> We've discovered this is why nobody else does an Australian US podcast combo. 
because the time zones just don't work. Somebody's going to be upset. We're maintaining the international relationship just by doing this, really. (laughs) So we were talking about photos. You're talking about the Soviet Union and that kind of, in a roundabout way, brings us actually back to, I think it was last episode, where we were talking about, uh, I was looking at an old thing in my house. What is the oldest thing? So that was kind of a, a challenge I threw out, speaking of challenges. So I'm curious what everyone has, and I don't know if you want me to start. Go for it. The oldest thing that I found, which I feel like I, I must have something older, but it looks like the date is 1926. Ooh. Wow. It's pretty old. Pretty decent in terms of age. It is a Kodak Hawkeye number two Model C box camera. Wow. It's almost like LG TV naming. Yeah, I know. That's kind of what I was thinking, actually, because, yeah, everything now is a terrible, horrible name. You get like Sony headphones and it's WH1000X Mark II. Yeah, that's (laughs) apparently we were doing that back in 1926 as well. Says he who has the sure SM7B microphone. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. Not the SM7A or the SM7, the SM7B, which now I think this thing has been out for 30 years so that means there'll be a c model probably next week now so you're all welcome for that but it's a it's a 120 format camera uh it's like i don't know i'd say it's roughly we'll go eight centimeters by 11 centimeters by 15 centimeters thank you for the metrics you're you're welcome you're welcome and it's just the craziest thing it's literally a cardboard box with fake leather on it it's i wouldn't even call it fake (laughs) leather it's it's like cardboard leather you put 120 film in it and you get to turn it to the next speaking of photos like imagine having to do a, a, a your one photo on this and then figure out how to get out of there i actually put 120 film in this about a year ago and i believe i'm halfway through the roll i don't know there's no way to tell there's no window telling you what photo you're on you have to actually just write it down i lost the note so i'm not really sure i think i'm about halfway <laughs> But it's going to be really interesting to develop this. It's almost like my own little mini time capsule. And it's literally just a shutter button. There's no focus. There's no viewfinder. There's nothing. It's just push the little thing down and it takes a photo and you hope that you got something. So 1926 is my oldest thing that I have found so far. So do you think you could take a photo of this podcast right here and now? And that would be something that you could later upload to the web as a memento of this Ooh, time. I could try. It might be too dark. It needs more light. Worth a shot. Oh, right. It's okay. It'll end up as some impressionist <laughs> masterpiece as a result. It's uh, it's worth a shot. Okay. Yeah, let me I, move into the show. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. <laughs> I, I've got oh, a sunburnt shit. face. <laughs> Here we go. Three, two, one. That was it. Click. It made a noise. That was that was it. That was a very interesting sound. I think it worked. Now do yeah. you have to wind the film on? I do. Yeah. I don't, but I'm gonna do. Well, should I do that now? He's gonna turn his his entire room red for us. That one could have been a double exposure, actually. So it may not have actually wound it to the next one. So. <laughs> yeah, that was the thing with those yeah cameras is you you had to have a workflow that would prevent that and. I think that part of it would be always winding the film after a photo versus doing it before, or but one or the other. Yeah, yeah. you have to, you have to you have to be very uh, diligent. Film. Yep. So that may be actually a picture of a podcast overlaid over a cat. 
which actually is pretty appropriate. So. <laughs> it's very internet. Yeah. <laughs> I think my object is from around the same time as yours, Jason, but it's quite a bit different. To give you some context, it's, I suppose you could call it a family heirloom. So it was given to me by my now uh, deceased grandfather, whose name was John. He grew up in the rural New South Wales town of Cowra, and his father was called Martin. So we shared the same name. And he was a teacher, but given the fact that it was a rural town, he also had this very unusual item, which has now, as I explained, has been passed down to me. I'm just going to reach for it now. What you are looking at is a branding iron with my initials. Ooh. Oh, that is cool. Wow. Wow. So, yes, it's quite terrifying. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, if anyone cool, does break and into also, the house. <laughs> please don't ever use that, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I justify keeping it uh, nearby as sort of like a weapon <laughs> if someone decides to break into the house. But if someone does displease me and there is a fireplace nearby, who knows what's going to happen. So I feel very inadequate with my label maker now. That's just, <laughs> that pales in comparison. I've never tested it, but you never know. I'm just waiting to see Martin's MacBook with a giant MF burned <laughs> into the back of it. Try stealing that. And next week, we'll be bringing a cow in to the podcast. <laughs> That is so cool. Yeah, you heard Jason's camera click. You'll hear a <laughs> yeah, sizzle exactly. next week. Wow, that's super cool. How long have you had that? Oh, you gave it to me. It must have been about a decade ago or something. So, yeah, I was a bit younger, but he personally didn't have much of a use for it when he was alive. It was more of a decorative piece because all, of all the times I visited him, I never saw any yeah. cattle. I didn't give him a cow anymore. So, uh, yeah, here it is. I think I actually need to dip it in some Coca-Cola or something to sort of give it a, a new lease on life because it does have that little bit of a, a rusty finish to it. I'm not oh, sure yeah. if you can see that it there. That is really oh, wow. cool. It's so cool. It's so yeah. handmade looking too. I yeah, love it. It's hilarious. I think for the listeners as well, we will take photos of these and put them in the show. Oh, yeah, yeah. They'll be in there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. This is not something you leave around children. So thank you for your attention. <laughs> So that goes over to me, I guess. Now, I had a little look around. I do have, um, in, I, and I asked my wife, what do we have that's old? And we sort of <laughs> thought about it. And I do have an Indigenous artwork that's on my wall, currently covered by a towel for um, audio acoustic reasons. But I decided... Professional audio treatment. Correct. Yes. Correct, yes. But unfortunately, I'm not going to do that one because I don't actually know the date. Whereas this one, I do know at least how old it is. And it's a book that I have with published, it was from my mother, published in 1951. And the book is called A Race for Bill. And it's that lovely old sort of publication that sort of has the nice binding and you smell it. <laughs> and it has that <laughs> lovely, musty old book smell. And I remember this race for Bill. It's about a kid who goes billy cart racing. Uh, in a, in somewhere in America because it's an American book. My mother was essentially American. My dad definitely was. Yes. Yeah, so, and I can tell you here, it has on the imprint. While while the All American Soapbox Derby is a national institution, and this story conforms to the 1950 rules, all the people and incidents in the book are fictitious. So you had this interesting balance between. You know, the billy cart racing, that was done properly, but this story of a boy woven through it. And I just love it. But 
capitalist America is was was and is strong because chapter five, Bill gets a sponsor. Oh, wow, <laughs> wow! Can we? There you go. Who's the sponsor? Is it? It's some cigarette company, Let's surely. See. <laughs> Let me have a flip. It's been a long time since I read this. Probably about twenty years since I read it. It's like kids soapbox racing, I'm brought s- to you by s- Fatima cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> totally normal. Yeah, I, I, I'm flipping through. I don't see quickly. In Australia, perhaps Fosters. You know, you get Fosters to, onto the onto the kids while they're. Young, I shall have to know. take that under advisement. <laughs> the one thing about this book, though, I know that I made my mother very angry because it was her book, which I sort of somewhat inherited. But as a child, I decided that it would be a fun idea to put a peanut sticker on the cover. <laughs> I was going to ask about that. <laughs> that didn't seem like it really fit the the book but yeah yeah and then you can see there's there's a slightly peeled off area of the sticker where i think i realized i've made a big mistake here i need to get this sticker back off again and i failed but it adds a nice little bit of color green cover a race for bill with a bit of linus and his blanket stuck on the front (laughs) i love it that's Speaking of sponsors, no, I'm kidding. We don't have a sponsor. Um, <laughs> yeah, Billy had sponsors and we don't. Uh, we're brought to you by, no, we're not brought to you by a cigarette company. Gene, do you by chance randomly have something with you that is old from your house? Not to put you on the spot. I do have. No, no, you do. You, I listened to the last podcast, so I knew this. Was oh, that Beans. must be that one download. <laughs> there it is. Found it. <laughs> and then you know when I was coming on I'm like well I do have this very old thing and but I don't have the exact date but this I'm holding it up but this is a music box oh oh wow it was my grandmother's uh who was German and so it says Elfenbein Zigarettendose speaking of cigarettes it's a cigarette box <laughs> wow so I know oh. and it has this little English hunting party like miniature on the front and it's all carved you know ivory box it's definitely yellowed over the year but it's a music box and I used to play with this like crazy when I was a little kid and so do you want to hear the music yes please oh absolutely please yes here we go you're gonna see if you recognize it I'm putting it into Shazam. <laughs> I was going to ask if that's just what you were doing, Andrew. I saw you reaching for a phone. Uh, <laughs> so are we going to get a copyright strike now? Is that is that how this works? <laughs> well, some of maybe your older audience listeners will know this. I didn't know what the tune was when I was a kid. But when one day when I was in college, I was sitting in the movie theater for a classic film you know, series, and it was The Third Man which is a famous Orson Welles movie from, I guess, the 40s, like right after World War II, uh, set in Vienna. It's all spy. I think it's a Graham Greene story, The Third Man. And it opens with somebody playing the zither, and that is the tune. And I heard the tune. I'm like, oh, my God, it's the music box tune. And, uh, And that music was written for The Third Man. So that my way of dating this box is this music box cigarette box because it does if you open it up there's like a little space to you know store your cigarettes it and it it has a typewritten label on the back you know and it's apparently number 
50 out of 59. So 59 wow. of them were made. Wow. I thought it would be older. I knew it was older than me. You know, I, I figured my grandmother bought it in Germany when she went back, you know, in the 50s for a visit. The movie came out in the late 40s and the music was written for the 40s, uh, for, for the movie. So I think it can't be older than 1940 something unless that was already a tune, like a folk tune. I don't know. Unfortunately, like a few years ago, the uh, public television show, um, Antiques Roadshow, came to Portland. And I, when I saw they were coming, I'm like, I'm totally applying. I'm going to totally bring the music box. I'm finally going to find out something more about this box. And I didn't get picked. Oh. I, I, you know, like they just didn't, you know, it was like, I guess, a lottery. And I just... You ever have that feeling where you're like, oh, this is how it's going to happen. And I'm, you know, I'm meant to do this finally. And Destiny. I didn't get to go. Dang. Ugh. I'm just amazed that it still works so well. Yeah. Well, there are very little mechanics to it. You know, there's a spring. You, 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 uh, you wind it up. And then I have seen the insides of these boxes, although not this one, I don't think. You know, it has just like a little uh, a cylinder. It has little pricks, and then there's like keys that the pricks play, and it says it has 28 notes on it, so, or the, the tune is 28 notes. I don't think the thing has 28 different notes. And being from the 40s and 50s, they found a way to put cigarettes in everything. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was just trying to reconcile, the, the, the fact that, to me, a music box is something for, you know, little kids, you know, your little, yeah. you give it to your little girl or something. She puts it on a dressing yeah. table, <laughs> but you have, but you also put the pack of the pack of Winfields in, yep. inside it or whatever. Yeah, you it's portable entertainment for your smoko break. That's what it is. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, and maybe it was like a. I mean, it never had cigarettes in it ever that, uh, since I've seen it. You know, my even though my grandmother did smoke, I don't think she kept cigarettes in there. But every time you would go for a cigarette. The third man would play. <laughs> and you think of Orson Welles, like, you know, his dissolute, you know, spy self out there in Vienna, like causing, you know, problems. I don't think I've ever seen the movie The Third Man. I don't, I maybe I have, but I don't recall. But it's, I'm definitely going to search for it now in uh, one of the 57 different video services Streaming. that I pay for <laughs> every month, whether I know it or not. Um, <laughs> and I would say that everybody should look, but it seems like that's one of the issues we have with all these stupid services is that whatever I have doesn't necessarily mean that you have it or mm -hmm. that you'll have it next week, which is why I have every single one because it becomes a matter of, is it on Netflix? No. Is it on Hulu? No. Disney plus? No. Uh, what else is there? Prime video? No. Apple TV plus? No. It's there's 57 different services now. And I'm, I, I have every single one, I think, at this point, and I, I couldn't tell you why, but I'm curious how that how that differs for you guys in Australia too, because I know obviously the content's going to be different, but are, do we even have the same services at this point, or are we still trying to play catch up on who has what? Well, that, I just want to say, firstly, that was meant to be the the whole point of the Apple TV Universal Search, which has been destroyed bit by bit you know that it was you're meant to talk into the siri remote and it would just find you the program irrespective of service do we blame netflix for that that was like the first domino wasn't it and then they all just followed <laughs> after that um in australia we have much the same in terms of the big international brands so we have netflix 
uh, Disney Plus, Apple TV. Um, what else have we got, Martin? Well, the other big presence here is actually Stan, which wouldn't exist in the US, and that's owned, I think, by the Nine yes. Network. Yeah, here. is that right? Yep. I think they bought it, but otherwise, yeah, we we miss out on things like Hulu and now the new Peacock service. I think so. We really just have the major ones. I read the other day that we're soon to get. What is it going to be, Viacom Plus or, or Paramount Plus? Paramount Plus, who owns Ooh. one of our commercial TV channels over here. So we're rebranding. It was It's called 10 All Access at the moment, which is an Australian sort of thing. They're rebranding that to take on, I guess, the international yeah. product next year. That's uh, what we call CBS All Access. I was going to ask you, where do you get your Star Trek uh, <laughs> if you're in Australia? Because that's where all the Star Trek is now on, on CBS, soon to be Paramount whatever we get the star trek on netflix actually that's where it turns so up here yeah, it's in a different service <laughs> it's the one thing we get it's that's it <laughs> you can have star trek in, in the common area and nothing else do you guys have what do you, i mean what do you generally i'm guessing you probably have prime video as well which is i don't know mm, prime video yeah. always seems like the one that every once in a while you'll hear about it but it seems like the least discussed service and i don't know if that's just because most people don't even know they have it if they have prime already um, or it's just a lack of content. I'm not sure. The interface offended me so much when I tried it that I had to leave. That's fair. Uh, I, I couldn't explain the disgust that I felt in, in, in navigating yeah. it. And some of the content was good there. That's why I wanted to try it, but I just had to leave. In fact, that's why I forgot mm -hmm. about it. Didn't even think to mention it. It has the boys though, which is a... It has the boys. <laughs> a great show. Great show ah, worth watching. Okay. Yep. Many times as I need to close my eyes or sometimes cover my ears... Uh, it is a great show, but uh, it's funny you say that about the interface because I, I watch most things on my iPad and uh, I started regularly just using Amazon Prime versus Apple because I didn't like the Apple interface. Oh, it's not good either for different reasons. Yeah. Yes. Right. At, at least like it's much easier to navigate through something in Prime than Apple. That whole idea of like, you know, move your finger up and down for half speed, this speed, scrubbing through the timeline. I find that very annoying. I just want to go to a spot on the timeline. Or I want to go backwards by 10 seconds. Would mm -hmm. you mind? What about when Hulu puts the underline on the wrong side, when they put the underline on top? Have you noticed that on the Hulu interface? where? The line, so normally you'd go and select something, the line would be under what you want. Oh. Like I, they put the line oh. on top. So I don't. Maybe that's just me. So but you I look cover at that up like, the whole screen when you touch it. It's terrible. <laughs> it's almost like when you go to an opera and the subtitles are surtiles at the top, and you just go. Exactly. Why is my neck yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Precisely. Yeah. So we all. I know every single person on this podcast has bought some Apple thingy in the last year. Surely. So we all have <laughs> Apple TV Plus for the free year, which is coming up, I think, in November yeah. is co coming up. November. And which is coincidentally yeah. lined up with the Apple One service, I'm sure, so that once that year runs out, you'll one way or another, you're probably going to keep it, whether we get another year for free for buying another thing or it just comes bundled as part of Apple One service. I don't know. I was a little underwhelmed at first when I first saw it happen. I thought, you know, of course, a bundle makes sense. I didn't think it made sense for us personally, but then I actually added everything up. It was actually a really good deal. You know, generally you don't hear people saying that an Apple thing is a quote good deal, but after I <laughs> added it up, it made sense. So I don't, is that the same for you all as well? Yes. 
definitely. When I first heard there was going to be a bundle, I thought, no, thank you, Apple. I don't want all your services. But when you add the storage, um, the iCloud, you know, storage, and if you want to try Fitness Plus, you're practically there to having everything else. And Apple Music too. For uh, that was the one I forgot about. I forgot about Apple Music that we are we have the family account for mm. that, and that was the one that pushed it over. So now I think if we do the bundle, we it's five or ten dollars cheaper than what we're paying now, and we get the other stuff that you know arguably we weren't using. But it's one of those if if it's there, maybe I'll use it every once in a while, or maybe I'll never use it and I just save five bucks. Either way, it's kind mm. of a win. Mm-hmm. Not to mention if you're in this nerdy bracket you're pretty much pulled over the line by the storage, as Gene said, because I looked at it thinking, oh, there'll be options. No, there are no options. I can only get this one because that is my current storage tier. So it looks like I'm going to have to become a gamer and a yeah. serious news enthusiast to enjoy that package. Yeah, that's like the last thing I want right now is more news. <laughs> Will you guys get the, I'm blanking on what the, the, there was different tiers. There was like beginner, medium and super ultra whatever it was do you have <laughs> are you gonna get the the, the top one premiere i think it was called maybe yeah i i will pretty much because of the storage yeah i i mean i already i was looking at it as we we're doing the same sort of mental mathematics so i'm already paying for two terabytes for storage i'm paying for apple music family plan i'm paying well i've got a free apple tv i wouldn't buy it again if i if i had the option um and then i've got what's the other thing i'm paying for the other apple service um music apple arcade no, you said music, iCloud, arcade, news. No, no, maybe it's just the storage. Fitness. Then. Well, you would get fitness. Yeah, I get fitness. I thought there was another one. No, wait. You said you wouldn't pay for the Apple TV again. Did you mean the Apple TV hardware or Apple TV plus the service? Apple Apple TV plus the service. I've ah, enjoyed. Okay. I've really enjoyed the shows that it has. So I, I probably have watched more of Apple TV plus shows than any other, to be perfectly honest. But for some reason, I still don't think it's worthwhile. Although. As soon as Ted Lasso came on again, I would be subscribing because that is one of the greatest shows of all time. But no, this way with the the premier service, it, it just makes sense to do to do that. Yeah, you know, it's just it it adds up, and it's like why not? It's it's fine. I think it's interesting that they kind of. I think they really had to do that. I think if Apple TV was left to fend for itself, I think it would fall by the wayside. So this is a great way. If you're a multi billion dollar company, you can subs- cross subsidize and make something that would otherwise fail be a success. I find it really interesting too how we perceive the different services. We you know, you have Netflix that has seemingly unlimited number of things on it. So it has a billion different shows. Great. And yet we don't, you know, we watch one or two shows on there. If I would not be surprised if months go by where I don't even open Netflix just because there's other stuff to watch. But there's this perception on the Apple TV side where on Apple TV Plus, there's, I don't know, I don't know how many other, maybe there are 10 shows, but maybe the the, the hit rate on them is, is is higher. But yet it still seems like this not, not worth it kind of scenario where paying $15 for 10 shows that I really like for some reason doesn't mesh well with our brains compared to Netflix that has unlimited numbers of things that we never will watch, but yet we feel like we're getting something, you know, like, oh, for that 10 bucks, I've got all these shows, but I never watch them. So I don't know how much of this is actual content versus mental. Netflix is trying to guilt you into falling for the illusion that if you leave, you lose an entire world of content. Whereas something like Disney is, remember all that nostalgic stuff that we locked away for years that you could never see? Now you can pay and unlock it all. So I feel like Disney Plus and Netflix are almost the same thing of pay for everything. It's just 
one service you actually like what's on there or you know what it is because it has a legacy. Netflix just feels like throw it at the wall and something will stick. Yep. Yeah, totally. That's interesting. So we, we basically all have all the services covered, it sounds <laughs> like. I don't think there's anything yeah. that anyone doesn't have. Maybe Peacock or does somebody have Peacock? Yeah, I haven't done Peacock yet, but but they don't have friends on it yet. Um, I would probably subscribe just to be able to watch some old episodes of Friends. And there was something else on NBC. Oh, Law and Order. Law and Order is actually a tricky thing to get streaming, uh, like the entire run of the original series. It's like 20 episodes. 20 seasons and 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 that's uh, that is um, you know that's an NBC show and so I looked into it and I said oh they don't have law and order which is probably good because <laughs> once law and order is on and I can just binge it I often do nothing else does the passion for that show extend to the variance yes of law and order right so yes, do it- you rank s for your criminal intent high I'm very curious about this now oh uh, I rank the original the highest just because it is the original and it's got a lot of, I mean, it's got some of the best actors in it originally. I, uh, Criminal Intent was my favorite because uh, I love Vincent D'Onofrio so much and that's really good. But I recently did have access to binge watch some Law and Order marathons and I thought he, it, it, I don't rewatch those as often anymore because they, they don't have the I don't have the whole, the true law and order like dichotomy of here's the investigation, here's the trial on criminal intent. They rarely have trials. And SVU, I avoid it forever because I was, it's very, very, you know, disturbing content, even more so than the other shows. And But I recently became, you know, I was watching one of the latest ones and I decided I just love Mariska Hargitay so much. And I do love that show but really only like the last 10 seasons, not the originals. Um, so probably more Law and Order than you need to know, but um, I have spent a lot of time watching it. I feel like anytime I have a conversation with somebody about streaming media, it always seems to more focus on back catalog versus what's yeah. coming or what's available now that is new content. It's almost like the new flashy content is is an afterthought versus well, what do they have, you know, from the nineties, what do they have from the two thousands? And it's like the back catalog still is, is kind of the, the thing that people are looking for in these services. And then, Oh yeah, by the way, they have Ted Lasso and this and that and the Mandalorian Mm -hmm. and, and all those other ones. At some point, I would imagine that will switch over. And I don't know if that's just maybe internet generational kinds of things where we've just, that's what we still want. Or if we're in a weird, you know, we have that 2020 multiplier right now where we just want the past. <laughs> maybe. Look, I think you're totally right. I was just going to say, with I, I unsubscribed recently from Disney Plus purely because all that I watched on it was The Simpsons. And I thought <laughs> this was my habit for 15 years as a kid to watch The Simpsons at six o'clock yeah. after school, just yeah. before dinner time. And now I'm paying for it for, I don't know what, I don't know why. Yeah. that And that's the headline usually is like new XYZ service coming and they have this show from 25 years ago. And everybody's yeah. like, oh, yeah. I'll pay $10 a month to probably not actually watch it, but at least I have it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons that Apple TV Plus is, you know, sort of a 
a, a weird animal because it doesn't have a back catalog at all. And for you know, I've had it also for free the last year. And I've only watched um, the morning show. I would watch these other shows. I just I don't know. It, but it's like committing to a whole new show. You know that <laughs> I had I have to like learn all these new characters and care about them. And I don't know. So I still haven't watched Ted Lasso, but I will. Watch Tiny World as well. Oh, that's good. Tiny World. Yeah, it's like a documentary, nature documentary kind of thing with just the, the cinematography they have in the show. It doesn't feel like it's possible with the technology we have, but somehow they did it. It's six episodes. It's really short. I would say definitely watch it. Well, just an Australian fun fact for you. Sorry, just to return to the morning show reference. In Australia, they couldn't call it the morning show. I'm not sure I if you're aware that. of that. They had to change the title to Morning Wars because we actually have... It's filmed on the east coast of Australia, a show called The Morning Show, and it's dreadful. <laughs> and you can get up in the morning, and it's after the earlier morning show, whatever that's called, I can't remember. That could be Sunrise or Today, I think. Yeah, yeah something like that. So you can, you know, you can give them however many, you know, installments of payments to get a fat blast or something or other, and they will give it to you. <laughs> it's a real deal. Yeah, no, I was, I was very impressed by that show, but... When I first put it on, I was like, I'm going to try something on the Apple TV. And of course, it's got Jennifer Aniston, who I like. And Uh I thought, and Steve Carell, who I like, I thought, oh, you know, let's check this out. I thought it was going to be a comedy. I just hadn't read anything about it. It is not a comedy. It is very, very heavy. I think a lot of people went into it thinking that, which was definitely not helpful for the show. Because if you go into that show with the wrong mindset, you're just, you're not going to land. Uh, I, I mean, the, the, the performances pulled me in and I couldn't stop watching it. And it was really on the nose in so many ways that though were uncomfortable, I thought were very well done. Do you guys purchase anything at all anymore? Absolutely. I do. I wait for those Friday iTunes discounts. And I <laughs> okay. Up yeah. But only digital, right? You're I not buy- are you buying physical media still? Or you, do you have Blu-rays and all I that? Did. No, no, no. Okay. No, I, I. Oh, you did? I did. I Criterion Collection uh, added my favorite movie of all time, uh, which is Until the End of the World. Uh, the director's cut, which is like five hours long instead of three hours released. And I thought, I want that. I mean, there's rarely a movie where I go like, no, this movie to me is like one of my most important viewings. It's super good. If you haven't seen it, Australia people, you should see it. It's half filmed in Australia, including Cooper Petey, which is why I know where it is. <laughs> it's a fascinating, fascinating film. And, and I wanted to get the director's cut, which I had never seen. And I'd seen it so many times. I already owned it on Apple, but I hadn't seen, you know, it's a rare director's cut where I can go, this is new, that's new, this is new, you know, and then see like the whole, like why the director in this case, I think was absolutely right. And a lot got cut out. So, and I also bought my second favorite all-time film, which was uh, Room with a View because I wanted the extras and I wanted to be able to watch that. I, I have a confession to make and I like to make it here amongst my friends. I've never <laughs> owned, I've never owned a Blu-ray player. Neither have I. I went from, hmm. I went from DVD my DVD, and it was sort of like getting old. And that was then it was sort of the battles between do you get an HD DVD or Blu-ray? It was a bit like the VHS beta days. And so I just thought, I'll just hang on to my DVD player and see how this plays out. DVD eventually died just the time that... Sh- wasn't really streaming, but it was accessibility of media online. Yo, ho, yo, ho, a pirate's life for me. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> 
Um, that's, a, that's a good way to say it. Thank you. <laughs> sort of became a thing. And so switched to that for a while. And now we've got streaming services. And I know that Blu-ray can still give a better quality, but I don't care that much. Um, I think Apple TV Plus shows in particular are really high quality already and they're fine to watch. I don't feel like I'm losing anything. And so Blu-ray was never alive to me and now it's dead to me. Um, <laughs> Not to mention the cutting edge Blu-ray player that's on its way out is the size of a television cabinet as the PS5. So yeah, maybe not the best investment if you're not into it already. I just found, I think three or four Blu-rays when I was unpacking a box the other day and I, for, I was surprised we even had them and immediately ripped them all, put them on storage and those are going out the door because I just don't want anything to do with them do you know as well i'm just reflecting on the comment i made earlier about apple tv plus and saying i wouldn't resubscribe i actually think i'm an idiot for saying that because as i think back <laughs> they're all all the show i've watched all the shows i've enjoyed most of them i've watched the full seasons which i don't do i'm not a massive tv guy but i have watched i've watched c and i watched morning wars and i watched defending jacob and ted lasso it's like its hit rate for me is off the charts compared to anything else. So shame on me. Shame on me because Apple TV Plus is actually a winner and I've got the wrong perception. I think we've kind of conditioned ourselves in this weird way that, like I said, every show on that you maybe watched every single one of them, but for some yeah. reason, because it doesn't have, again, you know, 37 seasons of Friends on it. It's it's we're perceiving it as as less valuable. And I think that's just because we streaming services historically have only ever had old stuff. Mm. So that kind of became I think that's where we started in the timeline of streaming. Whereas now, if you were to start in that timeline, you might maybe more think of stuff as being new. But I don't. Yeah, I think it's strange. Yeah. I think we immediately dismiss Apple TV Plus because um because it only has original new stuff. And maybe none of those shows are for you, and that's totally mm. cool too. But I think there's this weird perception that if 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 it doesn't have an infinite back catalog, it's not, quote, worth it. Yeah. So I'm sorry, Tim Cook. I, I, spoke, <laughs> I spoke poorly of your service. <laughs> well, he was definitely checking his bank account when you were saying that. He was worried. <laughs> yeah. We've just lost the Australian market, or at least the West Australian market. Perth is out. No, <laughs> but I'll do my three months of Apple fitness. And how would you track that? With, with this new Apple watch that I just got. <laughs> we're probably going to have to save that for next week because we're running yeah. long. But yeah, yes, sure. I've up upgraded from my Series 1 to my Series 6 and, oh baby, it's a big upgrade. You've got your full review ready for next time? Yes, tune in in a fortnight's time to find out what does Andrew think of his Apple Watch? Is he still watching Apple TV Plus? Is he still apologizing to Tim Cook? What's going on? <laughs> Tune in. We're going to need that as a formal uh, apology as well in writing that we'll put in the show notes. <laughs> and in terms of formalities, I think we should thank Jean for her time with us today. It is an early hour in Portland, Oregon. Absolutely. Thank you, Jean, yes. for joining us at, at the uh, <laughs> lovely hour of 6 a.m. Pacific. If people want to find out more about you, where might they go? Uh, they can find me on micro.blog, and my handle there is MacGenie with a G M A C G E N I E, which is a holdover from my Twitter days. I tried to change, but it just, uh, I left it. Um, 
but in, in any case, yeah, I'm there. Uh, yeah, if, if anybody is on Twitter listening to this, you can find me at the same name. And uh, that, oh, I have a podcast. I have a, I have a few podcasts. <laughs> uh, one is called The Weekly Review, which is uh, sort of an attempt to stay on track with GTD with my friend James Dempsey. And um, if you're just into Star Trek, I have a podcast on the incomparable network called Voyager Revisited. I highly recommend the weekly review because it's a great chance for you to not only do your own review, but also see if you were able to get it done before either of them did. It's a, it's a fun <laughs> challenge each week to see where you land with them. Speaking of challenges, don't anyone forget the upcoming photo challenge, 13th to 14th of October. That's right. Yes. Yep. Micro.blog, one photo, 24 hour period, day in the life. I can't wait to see it. I think it's gonna be awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Take care. Only one crash. It's good, Jane. That's good news. I think any crash is good news because it's further justification for a new computer.